Welcome to the Rhino Daily Podcast, the daily podcast for sharp entrepreneurs. You'll hear insights and ideas from the world's top entrepreneurs and thought leaders designed to help you increase your profits and improve your lifestyle. Now, now here's your host, Steve Cypress. Hello, it is Foundation Friday, June 19th, 2020. Steve Cypress here, and we have done it. We have come to the end of our multi, multi, multi part series on the great book by J. Paul Getty, written at near the end of his life when he was the richest man on earth, How to Be Rich. And we started this series. I have shared a different chapter, lessons from a different chapter in the book. Just about every single Foundation Friday, with a couple of exceptions for other things that came up. Uh, starting way back at the very first Foundation Friday of this year. I just had to look it up. So it's been about, what is that, about five and a half months, as we are almost at the midpoint part of the year, that uh, we have every just about every single week shared some timeless and fantastic wisdom and business lessons and life lessons from the great J. Paul Getty. And we finish it off with the final chapter today, which he calls A Sense of Values. And so now this book, if you've been with me through this series, you might have heard that it was not written and published all at once as a book. It was written in serial format as a series of articles that appeared at the request of Playboy magazine in the early 60s, from 61, well, he says he got the call in 1960, and the articles appeared in various issues from 1961 through 1965. So it was clearly Getty and his editor's choice to make this the final chapter of the book, to punctuate all the rest of the wisdom in the book. So let's dive right into it. It starts out with a profound statement by J. Paul Getty, to be truly rich, Regardless of his fortune or lack of it, a man must live by his own values. If those values are not personally meaningful, then no amount of money gained can hide the emptiness of a life without them. Boom, mic drop, game over. Words of wisdom. You might want to replay this or reread it, re-listen to it, however you're getting this, or get the book and Reread that a number of times, as I have, so it sinks in. That's from the richest man on earth. And he goes on through the chapter. You know, he tells a story once of his, uh, I think it was a cousin of his. He said, now this cousin, man, he valued freedom and time uh, more than money. And so Getty says, no matter how many times I tried to introduce him to all kinds of business uh, propositions that would have made him tons and tons of money and millions and millions of dollars, he turned them all down. I mean, he said he, he loved traveling and, and, and being great at whatever he was doing, but always doing something new. So Getty said he worked in various of the family companies and did all kinds of things, but he never wanted to take the position of responsibility and authority to really make the big bucks because he valued his freedom and his time and how he used to kind of lord it over his cousin, Paul Getty. Uh, by saying, look, you're the richest man on earth, but I'm the wealthiest. And uh, Getty talks about how, you know, uh, his cousin really had something there. Uh, that for all his multiple, multiple millions and billions of dollars, Getty being the richest man on earth, says he really regretted that he couldn't afford to do a lot of things he wanted to do. 
and makes it clear he could afford it in money, of course, but he couldn't, quote, afford it in time because of all the responsibilities he felt that he had to stick around for. Now, as an aside, the name of my corporation, my main company, is called Successful Selling Systems because I believe that that is the solution to Getty's dilemma of wanting to focus on producing and making money and producing all the good for society and all the, the, the people he supports in his various businesses and all the goods and services he provides that really, you know, that's, that was his value. His value of money was not in, that it was in cash or frivolously spent, but it was invested wisely to help the greater good of society to have more people lifted out of poverty and lifted out of the middle class into the upper class and to, to make money and to provide for their families and to send their kids to school or to do the traveling they wanted to do, uh, to give to charities and the arts and foundations and uh, to prov prov provide goods and services that, you know, we've talked about it before, but Getty says, you know, really truly wealthy people almost always, if they haven't retired, they have almost all their wealth tied up in producing. And people think, oh, he's rich, he has a lot of money. Well, he, on paper, yeah. But it's all tied up to the person that has the right values and says they understand the value of money is to be constantly producing more value for society as a whole. It's not to be tucked under the mattress or just to be frivolously wasted away, you know, indulging your own pleasures. Uh, Getty certainly didn't believe in that. But he says, you know, he wanted to do some traveling, read some books, uh, you know, do some things that he never took the time to do because he always felt he was spending time working and producing in his various businesses. And just something that I do for my clients and I love doing is getting them out of that race, that trap, and getting them to enjoy more life along with making money. Now, of course... My clients are not, none of them are the richest person on earth. I don't have any billionaire clients, so perhaps it's different when people are that driven. But for most of my clients, they're not driven by money. They are driven more by freedom. And so be putting systems into place, it allows them to take a week off. It allows them to take a month off and not have to call back to the office. And when they come back, their businesses have grown more even when they weren't there. That, to me... Is, uh, is the ultimate prize in life. But what do I know compared to the richest man on earth? Although he did say he regretted some of that. He says here, he talks about people that have, uh, he talks about status here. He says uh, the tendency is to equate status almost automatically and all but exclusively with financial success. And it seems that the achievement of status not only is per se considered an end unto itself, but that for many it has become the sole motivation and the only worthwhile goal. This status that I had a mentor uh, defined it to me decades ago, see if I can remember, he said status is uh, when you are buying in stuff with money you don't really have to impress people you don't even know. And so that's what Getty is talking about here, is people that are chasing status, which is what other people think of you, and for many, as if, as if that's an end to itself, to, to be, have other people like you or, or, or think you're, you're something special or successful or whatever. And that, unfortunately, has become the sole motivation, the only worthwhile goal for so many people. Vast numbers of people have apparently convinced themselves that the amassing of money and the material things they can buy alone signifies achievement. 
connotes success and confers status. They pile up money in the material possessions which they believe are solid proofs rather than frail symbols of ability, achievement, and success. So again, he says right there that it's not that money and material possessions are symbols of ability, achievement, success that people falsely think they are. They are simply frail symbols. They are not solid proof of ability, achievement, success. Oops, a little bit of a breeze here, a welcome breeze, as it is in the mid-hundreds again, Not meaning not 150, but like 105 or so. Uh, no humidity, but a nice little breeze up here in the mountains. Um, they, these are shallow uh, status seekers, accept as manifest truth the shoddy theory that they can gain social position in the respect of others only by out-earning and out-buying those around them. They have no interest in building anything but their own bank balances. They are not concerned with values, but only with the dollars and cents prices they pay for their possessions. Now, not to use an excuse, but I believe that our actions should reflect our values, and I believe that subconsciously, whether you like it or not, no matter what you think consciously, our actions do reflect our values. So if I was to say that my top value is to become a billionaire and to make millions and millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars, I would not be being true to myself because clearly I don't take the actions necessary to do that. Here it is, uh, not even 5 p.m. on a weekday, and yet I'm done working for the day. I almost always record my video here when I'm done working for the day. I'm done working pretty much for the week. I have some things to, some videos to watch, a couple of books to read, and some notes and plans to do over the weekend, but pretty much I'm done working for the week. And if, if my number one goal, like Getty says about himself, was to become really rich and wealthy and make tons of cash and money and have that kind of prestige and material possessions, then I'm pretty sure I'd be working 14-hour days, seven days a week. I certainly wouldn't be stopping now when it's perfectly light out and not even 5 o'clock. And I just told my beautiful wife, Michelle, and she was shocked. I said, you know, I'm going to record my video. She's like, what? Meaning I, I'm done working. She said, wow, you know, what's kind of not, it's nice. And, you know, my beautiful wife, Michelle, has even got her head screwed on much even straighter than mine. And she understands uh, that I push and work too much and might want to enjoy and smell the roses. But you see, we, we have a nice life here. We have this, you know, we live right up here in the mountains, beautiful views, beautiful pool. Uh, but I tell you, uh, one thing that pleases me uh, that is a value I hold is I almost never go in this pool, but my beautiful wife, Michelle, goes in two, three times a day. So I'm always asking her, honey, did you go in the pool? Did you go in the pool? And I want to hear her say yes. She enjoyed it. She loves it. And I'm like, good, because otherwise, what the heck do we have it for? It isn't for me, and it isn't for status, and isn't for, oh, it's a good background on a video, or it makes people think, oh, ah, well, I don't give a crap what people think, in case you haven't noticed. I have it purely for function, for the enjoyment of my beautiful wife, Michelle, which is one of my top values in life. And uh, similarly, I value, uh, this is known as the cobbler's dilemma. As I get off on a slight tangent here, it's not really supposed to just be all about myself, but I'll tell you another little example, use myself as an example, with uh, what, it goes by different names, but I, uh, I uh, prefer uh, when I hear it called the cobbler's dilemma which is the cobbler, the shoemaker. Uh, everyone in town has beautiful shoes except him and his family. And so 
I am that way a lot as well. I have that dilemma. I own all or part of 16 different businesses right now. And yet when it comes time to do the strategizing, the advertising, the marketing, the sales for something that is solely my business, that takes a far back seat. When I say, how can I work on that? I got projects for clients. And I got calls of people that go to helpfromsteve.com and want a free consultation. Let me do a few of those. I got a long waiting list. Go there if you want. You can get on my calendar. I got people I got overbooked on these calls, so I, I put less and less time on the calendar for people to get them. But, you know, I knock those out. And then I have follow-ups and all kinds of client calls and client projects and, and obligations that I have made to other people to get stuff done, which comes before doing stuff for myself. So I believe that's another value of mine is not that I'm concerned with my own status and wealth and all that above the value of helping others and helping them succeed and doing good. I remember all the way back to my first multi-million dollar company, the first time I experienced this was when I was signing uh, and, and getting calls to confirm their employment and their salary and how long they've been working there because they were getting a mortgage. They were buying a house. They were buying a car. And I was like, wow, you know, my employees are all getting on with their lives. And I remember an employee come to me and saying, you know, I'm getting married. Can we get, can I get two weeks off for, to go on our honeymoon? And we're going to go here and there. And I'm like, geez, I never been there. I don't get two weeks off. I'm driving a beat up old car. I'm living in a cheap apartment. My employees are all living life better than me. Of course, I had the equity, right? I owned the business and it was my choice to keep working seven days a week, every waking minute, putting every second and every penny back into the business. They were employees saying, I came here and I'll, I'll help the business, Steve, but they had different values. They enjoyed spending time with their family and doing personal things. And I, and actually since I turned my hobby into that business, I had no hobby, I lost my hobby. And so I really just dove into the business and I know over the decades, I talk to thousands of business owners and entrepreneurs all the time, and so many do the same thing. We get immersed in our work so that it is our families that sometimes are going on vacation without us. Or like my beautiful wife, Michelle, hanging out and swimming in the pool two, three times a day without me. And then, you know, putting on a movie at six o'clock in the evening when the day's over, and I'm still working for another hour or two. And I'll come in for the double feature. I'm like, is that movie over? Great. Let's watch. Now let's watch a movie together. You know, because I'm valuing other people's success more than I'm valuing my own money in the bank, material possessions, uh, amount of millions, status. You know, you don't see in my videos what you're seeing a lot of videos by people that claim to be gurus and experts and want to take your money to teach them how to be successful and they will you know, be in front of a Lamborghini and a this and a that to prove how successful they are. And as Getty points out here, that doesn't prove you're successful. Those are shallow, frail symbols of ability, achievement, and success. Those are not solid proof of success. So I'm perfectly fine here in my fairly humble home, driving our fairly humble 2011 car that's soon to be, or I think it already is, in about a month, it'll be 10 years old. The uh, 2021 model is coming out soon. Our car's about to be 10 years old. And we're going to be driving it for years to come, for the foreseeable future. And I am not, uh, uh, you know, looking to buy uh, private jets. 
and big mansions and, uh, you know, pile up multi-million dollars worth of statues and art and whatever. We're very happy with our silly turtle. You can see behind me near the flag. I mean, that guy has been making his way towards the pool ever since we've been here, and he's oh so close. I mean, one of these days, he's going to get in there. Uh, and if you can't tell, of course, he is made of solid rock and uh, I jest uh, uh, for change. Anyway, so I can go on and on, but I think you get the point. Uh, Getty says, in order to achieve any contentment in life, you must derive genuine satisfaction and an equally genuine sense of accomplishment from your work. These are considerations at least as important as the size of your income that you receive from your work. So a genuine satisfaction and a genuine sense of accomplishment from your work, more than just how much money you make and how much material positions you have, that you're living by your values and not simply to impress other people or what you think you should be doing. Uh, Getty says, rich as I may be from a material standpoint, love how he says maybe, richest man on earth, love when people use that, maybe when something actually totally is. You know, uh, you know these, these riots and looters may be bad, but, no, not may be bad, they're rioting and looting. I digress. Uh, as rich as I may be from a material standpoint, I've long felt that I'm very poor indeed in time. And then we talk about the story that he has told. Uh, money has not been a bar to the realization of many of my desires. Insofar as money is concerned, I could have easily afforded to do any of the things I wanted to do for many years. The blunt and simple truth is that I've never been able to do them because I could never afford the time. Of course, that's his belief that he couldn't afford the time. Richest man on earth, pretty sure he could have said, hey, if I take off for two months and go do something I want to do and my net worth collapses to half of what it is, he'd still be pretty darn close to the richest man on earth. I think he'd still pretty much be fine. But according to him, you know, he had to and couldn't and all those kind of unfortunate excuse words. Uh, it's paradoxical but true that the so-called captains of industry frequently have less time for indulging their personal desires than their rear-rank privates. Again, like the story I told the, when I first learned it with my employees and over the years over and over with my employees, that hey, like, hey, they're living better than me in many ways. They have more time with the family and they do more traveling. They take a lot more time off. They relax. You know, he goes on and on and here about all kinds of medical conditions, ulcers and high blood pressure and stuff that comes with successful people a lot more, of course, than, than financially unsuccessful people don't usually have ulcers and high blood pressure and that stuff and cardiovascular issues that a lot of time comes from stress that comes along with pushing and pushing and thinking you got to prove something and, boy, I got, just got to get a little more and got a little more and a lot of times especially because I have many successful, very successful clients, when I talk to their spouses, the spouses are, yeah, you know, I really don't care. You know, we're fine. We were, when we were broke, when we got married, we were happier. Now I never see him. Now he's stressed out. Now he's got heart issues. He's got high blood pressure. He's got an ulcer. He's got a, I'd rather just make one-fifth the money and we'll be fine. We don't need all this. I'd rather have them spending more time with the family. So it's ironic that that's how the rest of the family feels. Dad, we'd rather have you home and have your time. We don't need all the stuff and all of this and that and the money in the bank. Like, well, Maybe they're just saying that, but maybe it's true. And uh, it's ironic because the breadwinner 
uh, often feels, that's why I'm doing it. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. And we can go on and on about how almost invariably, no, they are not. They're doing it for themselves to feel like a good provider. And we can get into all that stuff some other time. Uh, oh, he talks about the high suicide rate and that 30 to 40 percent, uh, 120,000, this is in 1960s, 120,000 suicides a year are classified as economic suicides. And he says 30 to 40% of them occur when a man is successful, not when he's failing. When a man has achieved the peak of success, often he has nothing left to scramble for. And he says life isn't worth living. What the heck? Ouch. You know, brings to mind another saying, be careful what ladder you're climbing. Before you start climbing it, make sure it's up against the right building, that you're climbing the right ladder before you put in all that climbing and scrambling and trying to get somewhere. And 30 to 40% of these suicides are people that climb the ladder, the success ladder, financial success, and got there and said, my life is meaningless. What's the point? And see ya. That's actually the big, biggest reason why my first multi-million dollar business failed, because I grew it very quickly, and it became, within three years of me starting it from scratch, it became the largest in its industry. And I put my feet up on the desk, uh, so to speak, and I went on coast, and I said, what else is it? I didn't reset the goal. I didn't say, well, but now I want to be the most successful of this, or I want to donate, start a foundation, and I want to donate money, so I got to build it some more. I, I just said, hey. You know, what else is there? That's it. I put it on autopilot. And when that happened, not pushing the company forward, the company started falling backwards. And, you know, within an, about another four years uh, from that point, it completely collapsed and failed. And looking back, I realized that's because I stopped pushing because I, I figured, you know, what else is there? I didn't commit suicide, but I committed company suicide and killed my own multi-million dollar business. Learned a great lesson, and I've helped a lot of entrepreneurs avoid that. I can see the warning signs, and I've helped a lot of people through my mistakes over the years. Uh, Getty concludes the book with this sentence, or these two sentences. It has always been my contention that an individual who can be relied upon to be himself and to be honest unto himself can be relied upon in every other way. He places value, not a price, on himself and his principles, and that in the final analysis, is the measure of anyone's sense of values and of the true worth of any man. And again, substitute man or woman for the archaic uh, language of the 1960s, although today I see it used a lot even just for simplicity's sake in, in publications, in writing, just assuming that it means man or woman. But that is the crowning statement purposely put as the last statement of the book to cap it all off from this bountiful trove of wisdom on business and life from the legend himself j paul getty had to be rich so that does it for our five and a half month multi-part series here on foundation friday on that great book we will start another series on another book that we'll go through principle, principle by principle, lesson by lesson by lesson. I have not chosen which book that will be, so I'm going to leave it open to you. Let me know. Uh, hit me up with a comment below wherever you're seeing this. Uh, Steve at stevecypress.com. 
uh, you know, put a comment on my blog post, my podcast episode, my LinkedIn post, Facebook groups, Twitter, uh, trying to think, uh, iTunes, I don't know, it's all over the place. Uh, YouTube, of course. So uh, let me know. Do you have a favorite business slash life advice type of book, or it can be just business, uh, and either I will be very familiar with it and love it and respect it as well and want to share it, or it could be something I have not yet availed myself of, in which case I would order that immediately, have it instantly delivered to my iPad, and uh, launch our next series, Next Foundation Friday. So balls in your court. Let me know if there's something you want me to share in the next foreseeable future of Foundation Fridays. And that'll do it for today. Thanks to everyone being here live. Thanks for all the likes, the shares, the comments, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow on Social Media Saturday. I will catch you then. Over and out. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Rhino Daily Podcast, the daily podcast for sharp entrepreneurs hosted by Steve Cypress. Join us tomorrow for another exciting episode designed to help you increase your profits and improve your lifestyle. Also, go to rhinodaily.com for more great business exploding tips, strategies, and tactics from the world's top experts. Plus, snag your free copy of Money Making